it's very hard to keep all this together now because there's so many of these disparate platforms. You know, the old way of fighting a war was a, you know, had a front line, you had two armies facing off on the front line, and you know, that's the way it basically was. They fought across there and tried to get to the other side. But the asymmetrical warfare that Russia has developed over the years has meant that they can go behind the front lines using Facebook, using operatives, using any propaganda t- techniques to basically fight the war, you know, from behind any needless lines. It's a very simple concept. But they've developed it to such an extent, and we've seen it in Ukraine, we've seen it elsewhere, that it's almost impossible to track. One of the quotes I like the most from Sergei Shogun, who's the Russian Ministry of Defense, is it's hard to search for a black cat in a dark room, especially if it's not there. And he's right, because the black cat is the influence that's going on in militia groups, or maybe spread through Facebook or elsewhere, or these disinformation. You can't really see that. You can't catch that thing, because it just doesn't exist. But it's affecting so many people, and it's affecting our future, really, as a republic. It's very hard to see us being able to sort of unify beyond these kind of forces of being amplified and and uh, amplifying messages in our country. Yeah, and you know, part of the problem is is that a lot of folks have just gotten so used to the idea of if they don't understand something, they just throw their hands up and say, "Well, this is just too complicated." You know, I wrote a 200-page report on the 10 different ways that foreign adversaries targeted service members, veterans, and our families with everything from disinformation campaigns to stealing the identities of those killed in action to engage in romance scam using their person, mm-hmm. right? Not one person has been held accountable for any of the wrongdoing that I've exposed in my report. And it's not, you know, okay, we can't go and extradite Russians. It's just not going to happen. But no one at Facebook who allowed this to happen, who I was sending emails to with early versions of my report, you know, being completely open to them saying like, here's a spreadsheet of 160 fake pages pretending to be American veterans run by mm-hmm. foreigners. No one at Facebook is being held accountable. Isn't that and, and that's what's most frustrating to me. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And they're not the kind of company that you can expect them to do anything. They just won't. They've proven they're not that interested in working on behalf of the American people. It's um, frustrating. But then tell us about your experience of getting into this militia group, because you then infiltrated a militia group. So tell us about sure. that really interesting chapter of your life. So in the days leading up to the publication of this report, I had a friend who I served with in the army call me up and say, hey, I joined a hate group and I want you to help me take them out. We had never had a discussion about this before. Mm. It was a completely random phone call. And this is the kind of guy who anytime that he calls me, something crazy happens. Time prior (laughs) to that, he called me within four hours. I was on a tiny little plane flying into West Virginia to basically help our friend in a hospital. And then I ended up pretending to be an inpatient to get like this. Things are crazy, right? I ended up sleeping on a mental health ward last time this guy called me to save one of our buddies who was really messed up from the war. So he calls me, tells me, join this hate group, wants me to help him take him out. Now, this is a good reminder. There are a lot of folks who keep their eyes on DC, who keep their eyes on the news like me, and I'll take a photo with the senator. Well, people who never pay attention to the news and never care about elections, which is a lot of Americans, they you know, they have their own things to worry about in their own lives, their own families. They see a photo of me with the senator, they start to think, I can do all sorts of things that I can't. Like, mm-hmm. I can't just call up the FBI and say, hey, let's take out a hate group today. Right. That's not how things work. Yeah. So I told my buddy, like, listen, I'm going through a lot right now, about to publish this massive report, which includes some stuff on Russia, so I'm probably going to be a target. So I can't join a hate group right now with you. <laughs> so fast forward a year later. Now COVID's a thing. I get laid off from Vietnam Veterans America because the donations dry up and I call my buddy back and I say, well, you know, I've got a lot of time on my hands. I had just graduated. I'd gone from being a full-time student, working full-time remotely to graduating and getting laid off the same week. And I joined a hate group with him. 
And so the first one that I joined was mm -hmm. called Patriot Front. Mm -hmm. Patriot Front is the most active hate group in the United States and no one's ever heard of. You know, they are primarily Gen Z, different from the three percenters and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, the household names, because they're not idiots. These right. are kids these are guys who grew fly up with cell radar. phones. Yeah, these are guys who grew up with cell phones in their hands, who have been on Instagram since they were tweens. Mm -hmm. And they know how to build an audience and keep an audience engaged. They know mm -hmm. how to build a social movement. And what you're looking at right now, all of these masked kids, these are young men who are between 18 and 35. Unlike the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters, they have an age cap, can't be older than 35 years old. Mm. Why? Because they want to invest in propagandizing and investing in young fighting age males mm -hmm. so that when they engage in a day like January 6th, it's going to be a hell of a lot more bloody than what we saw at the Capitol. No, they weren't so, there on January 6th, as far as we know. I mean, maybe they were there as other as groups, but not there. This is their leader, Charles um, Rousseau. He's, he's seems so young. He just seems like a kid. Like, I mean, really? This is the leader of this giant movement? He considers himself the Caesar of the white race. Mm. He is a 22, maybe 23-year-old who lives in Grapevine, Texas, which is in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So something, and I don't know if he knows this yet, but around the election, I had infiltrated this group and I was documenting, basically learning everything about them because I had access to all of their chat logs in real time. So I was watching them screenshotting every bit of it, mm -hmm. logging in multiple times a day because they automatically delete their things every few hours so that I could stay on top of everything. Gave it all to BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed published an article just days before the election. Now, our intent with exposing this organization was to take them offline specifically for the election. Mm -hmm. They are very decentralized in terms of communication. They have learned a lot since Charlottesville when a lot of them were doxxed and had to pay social and economic costs. Like we just saw, you know, now some of them millions of dollars in debt right. uh, because they lost the Charlottesville lawsuit. These so they, folks, they view Charlottesville as a bit of a trap, right? I think many of them correct. do. Yeah. yeah. They consider it like a honeypot. Now, mm -hmm. Thomas Rousseau, he actually handed a weapon to James Fields, the person who ran over Heather Heyer and the group of peaceful protesters and killed Heather Heyer. Thomas Rousseau somehow escaped the Charlottesville lawsuit, but justice is still coming for him. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell you an example of how to sabotage an organization like this. So we joined this organization, got all the screenshots, gave it a BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed comes out with the article just days before the election. I print out 200 copies of it, found out where this kid lived because his address is part of the public record because he was arrested for putting up racist propaganda near his hometown. And I mailed 200 copies of the BuzzFeed article with a dossier with his arrest records, pictures of his house and pictures of his car to everyone in his neighborhood. Mm. Literally drew a circle for a quarter mile around his house. And Very let smart. everyone within a quarter mile know that they're living next to not just a neo-Nazi, but the headquarters of mm -hmm. the largest most active hate group in the United States. So that's a very, they, very smart that, idea. It had an impact, presumably. <laughs> presumably he wasn't happy. Did you so ever they, hear from they him? They went underground. They went underground. Um, yeah, they, they went underground for a little while, then popped their heads back up. But who funds them? Who funds day. these guys? Who funds the Patriot Front? Where are they getting all this money from to organize this organization? Where are they getting all this knowledge from? It seems like, is this really a natural upswelling of white nationalism, or is it something that's been constructed elsewhere? A lot of these people have day jobs. You know, they're members of our society, and they are, you know, nighttime Nazis, just like the Klan. Mm. They go and they put on, instead of a hood, they put on their white mask. Now, what makes these guys different from the three percenters, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, 
these kids, and I call them kids because I have no respect for them and they're fucking morons, mm -hmm. they immerse themselves in Nazi propaganda and fascist propaganda, everything from Mussolini on, and are taking the propaganda efforts that were effective in leading to the Holocaust and applying their 21st century knowledge and skill set to it. So with that, they were viral on TikTok before anyone knew what they were. Yeah. So when they, you know, one of the, the most common ways that these new white extremist organizations spread their hate is they go around and they post stickers and flyers with their logo, their name, you know, a message of hate, and then their website address on it. They'll post it outside a synagogue or on a college campus, some diverse neighborhood, somewhere where it's going to generate outrage. Mm. So a well-meaning journalist takes a photo of it or well-meaning anybody takes a photo of it, posts it online and says like, hey, look, I found neo-Nazis on this college campus near the mm. synagogue in this neighborhood. And then if a thousand people see that tweet with their web address on it, all it takes is one sympathetic person. Now they've got an applicant. Mm. So they have been using our outrage against us to do their recruiting and find the one out of a thousand people who have views in any way sympathetic to their own. You know, earlier this year in this uh, narrative season, we ran a story about uh, Charles Bowsman, who's a Russian, you know, one would think operative. He acts like a Russian operative, walks like a operative. Let's call him an operative for our purposes here. Uh, who ran, has a, had a barn up in Pennsylvania, where amongst other things, he held the launch meeting of the National Justice Party, which is the, basically the neo-Nazi party of America. So here's a Russian operative thinking, well, I can get all these guys together. No one else is going to let them host anything. Give them the barn. They can host their event. And now he's, you know, influencing hundreds, maybe thousands of Americans into thinking that the neo-Nazis is a cult worth following. Well, there's the National Justice Party is a cult worth following, you know, and succeeds. I mean, at the end of the day, the party now exists and it must get funding from somewhere. Maybe it also gets funding from the Russians. It's, you know, it's a similar kind of thing with this. It might be that there are some foreign actors as well who just find this useful in their, you know, attempt to sow chaos and might be helping oh, yeah. these guys along. So Nick Fuentes, the, mm -hmm. who was just outside the Capitol, who's telling his followers that the police mm -hmm. were the enemy as they were running up to the Capitol to attack them, break into you know our citadel of democracy. Mm -hmm. Nick Fuentes received what is now the equivalent of over a million dollars in Bitcoin donations from a European white right. extremist who eventually just, I guess, like gave away all his Bitcoin money and then killed himself. These folks are trying to not just create a white American ethno state, uh, they're trying to balkanize the white world from mm. the rest of the world. So their organizations like White Lives Matter are not just producing propaganda for white people in the United States, they're doing it for white Russians, they're doing it for white Ukrainians, for white Italians. Mm. They are all over the Western world and their, their stated goal is to create semi-autonomous cells who are ready to be called to action. So mm. like what we saw on January 6th, those were a bunch of maniacs who, you know, for the most part, you know, were coming in small cells. They were willing to storm the Capitol in what was the greatest attack on our democracy so far. These folks are planning for 20 years down the line. That's why they're aiming for people in our fighting age males right now, because they want 20 years from now, these people to be in their mid 40s, still able to you know, swing a baseball bat at a cop, but have you know, a, a dozen people in their 20s behind them ready to- That's know, a very long-term horizon. You know, these, are, these are not kids that are coming up with a strategy, obviously. These are people who are thinking very, very far ahead. And it strikes me that you know, none of this is good for America. It's certainly troubling to think about what's driving them. You suggest it's, it's just the white nationalism, but there's got to be I think about the Macedonian that you encountered, as mm -hmm. I did back, way back when, about this Macedonian 
troll farms that the Russians basically set up in Macedonia to create all this propaganda into the American zeitgeist during the 2016 election. Now, those Macedonian kids had nothing to do. They were smart. They spoke English. They had nothing to do. There was zero economic opportunity there. When the Russians showed up and said, hey, here's you know 20 bucks or whatever it is they gave them to write a per story about Hillary Clinton, they didn't care. They wrote the story about Hillary Clinton because they wanted mm-hmm. the money. It might be that we're seeing some of that financial incentives being offered to these kids as well. Well, what we saw with the Macedonians, you know, I take what I say now with a grain of salt because it's an extremely small focus group, right? Mm. But the Arsov brothers are who we're talking about, the Macedonians. Yeah. The Arsov brothers in the beginning, you know, they're getting paid. They'll, you know, hire a hundred people, pay them a dollar a day apiece mm. and have them write, you know, stories about Hillary Clinton, you know, having dementia or something. They didn't care. But now today, those Arsov brothers, they're true believers. Mm. They like really love Trump. And that is, I think, the effect that that these propaganda campaigns have had on a lot of Americans who initially supported Trump in 2015, thinking it was a joke because they like to, you know, troll the lib mm. and piss people off. Now they're true believers because mm. they've been so wedded to pretending to care, to pretending to be attached to this guy, that now they have convinced themselves that they are mm. indeed Trump fans. And that's right. why those are the type of people who you saw storming the Capitol. Those so are pernicious. It's who, so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, we're just facing an awful calamity if this continues. And so in the few minutes we have left, I want to just try to get your pick a brain here about what it is we can do to stop this. I mean, it seems kind of like it's impossible to stop, but we must figure out a way. What do you think the best strategies are to fight this information? So there are sociologists and psychologists and all sorts of academic folks who have better answers than this. I'll give you the answer that a soldier can come up with. That's imposed costs on these people. Right now, they are trying to build what they call a parallel economy. Specifically, this is led by Andrew Torba of Gab. They are trying to create online job boards. So if you're a neo-Nazi, you get outed in your neighborhood, you just go on the neo-Nazi help wanted website, and you've got a job in your local neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make it so that when folks are identified and have, you know, lose their job, lose their girlfriend, well, now they can go on to white supremacist Tinder. It sounds like a joke, but it's not. I mean, the reason why they're becoming so brazen, but for, you know, the nine people who were held responsible for Charlottesville, the rest of them went on to create the National Justice Party. Mm. And now they have, they're receiving donations from neo-Nazis across the world. They're coordinating with fascist militias in Ukraine, and they're Mm -hmm. getting to see Europe, you know, going overseas and, and training to fight with these people. Yeah, You know, these folks are no different from the jihadist extremists that Americans were so afraid of for the last 20 years. They've been radicalized and they're willing to go overseas and train to fight mm-hmm. so that they can come home and bring that skill set here. And they have the money, they have the resources, they have the weapons, and they really are trying to, you know, create an insurgency in this country. I mean, that seems to be the goal and for a long time. It feels to really rip apart the country. If they need to, they will separate parts of some of these states out of the United States. And of course, that just obviously weakens America tremendously. But you still haven't answered the question. How do you stop them? Other than you impose costs, you said, but what else can we do as, you know, ordinary citizens? Is there something that we could be doing in our daily lives that could reach across to reach them? I mean, is there a way to get to them? Is there a way to communicate with them and and discuss that? I am too, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a hate-filled person. I hate Nazis Mm -hmm. and I have no interest in rehabilitating Nazis. 
I want to impose social and economic and legal costs on them in every way that I can. And the way that a regular person, you know, you don't have to be spending all your time in neo-Nazi telegram chat to do this. Simply go on Twitter and just use the Twitter search bar and look for Mm anti-fascist and just follow all the anti-fascist accounts that you can. Once in a while, you're going to see an anti-fascist account that is in your neighborhood and they're going to dox a Nazi. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you as the person who lives in that neighborhood to make sure that your neighbors who are probably not on Twitter are notified so that they know that a Nazi lives in their neighborhood. If I were one of Thomas Rousseau's neighbors and, you know, a couple of days after the election, I got a package with that dossier, I would have been really appreciative. I would like to know if there was a Nazi on the other side of the block, because that's a safety threat. I want to let my local police know that if, you know, they find a swastika burned into the schoolyard grass, that's probably the guy who did it, right? I think that's a good answer. That's, you know, you're telling us to be conscious in our neighborhoods of what's going on. And these are local stories. These are things that show up locally. And it's Mm -hmm. just about whether people take action. Oftentimes, I think people get really scared at the idea of taking action in any of these situations. But I think as we are learning tonight, it's a big problem we're having. And it's a continuing and growing problem in America. And it could lead to the very destruction of this country. It certainly feels like we haven't, uh, many people think that January the 6th was sort of the end of things. It really wasn't. It's sort of just the first in many chapters, maybe. And another local action thing, and you might have seen me say this on Nicole Wallace's show, is folks ought to start going to their school board meetings, their local school board meetings. If you watch Fox News, you'll see that there are crazy people, proud boys showing up in full uniform, the yellow and black, the body armor, the helmets. You know, you're seeing the three percenters, the Oath Keepers show up at these places. People who are not crazy also need to show up Mm -hmm. because you need to show those who live in your neighborhood who have run for that school board, who are doing a job that they might not be even getting paid for, that them staying in that position is worth it because the community has their back. Because mm-hmm. what the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the, the Proud Boys, and the Neo-Nazis want to do, is they want to create vacancies on those school boards so that they can just run for those vacant positions. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you have a Neo-Nazi who's determining what textbooks your kids can read. Right. I mean, that's a real threat in this country right now, and it's, yep. it's happening. So folks who are really concerned about this stuff, just go to the meeting. You don't have to get in a fight with these people. Just sit down and just clap and support your local legislator. I mean, it's unbelievable what the Supreme Court did today, just in that that hearing on abortion. It sort of, you know, makes you think anything is possible, really. Um, The Supreme Court, that reactionary who who could go down to abortion just at uh, 15 weeks, then, you know, could be anything. Really, it's kind of a dismaying time to be an American. Uh, But thank you very much, Chris. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I thank you very much for being with us. Tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your organization, and anything else they uh, you want to promote, feel free to do that. Sure. So uh, one of the organizations I have to give a shout out to is, is Veterans for American Ideals. Uh, Veterans for American Ideals is a project of human rights first, and we're not just about you know fighting extremists and trying to stop extremism from impacting the military and veterans community. We're trying to help Afghans settle in the United States, our allies who are overseas. We're helping them become the newest Americans. And you want to piss off a Nazi? (laughs) Help make an Afghan an American. I mean, that's that's like the most uh, mean thing you can do to a Nazi. So Veterans for American Ideals, VFAI.org. You can find me on Twitter at K-R-I-S Goldsmith85. That's the best way uh, if you want to get in contact with me. I I try to respond to most of my messages. And it's uh, Sparvarius is the company you run, uh, which is the open source intelligence organization you have. You've been so helpful tonight to connect these dots, which I think is so important. It's so important for everyone to realize that, you know, the insurrection 
didn't happen out of nothing. The insurrection came out of militia groups and militia groups came out of something as well. And they came out of the propaganda efforts that were started earlier as 2015, probably, but maybe even sooner than that um, on Facebook and elsewhere to radicalize American troops and veterans who are coming back from there. And that's how we landed up with this radicalized group of people who, you know, stormed the Capitol on January the 6th. And that very serious act that I know a lot of people want to just turn away from and ignore is bringing other terrible things to this country, including these, um, you know, neo-Nazi groups that you talk about, the Patriot Front and others. There's just so much that needs to be understood that comes out of this propaganda effort that started in 2015 and that led into these militia groups. That is not going to be curtailed by turning our back and on the events of January the 6th and ignoring it. We have to confront it. We need to see justice being done there. And we need to see justice being done really quickly because we don't have much time before the next election. And who knows what will happen if the Democrats don't win the House. So a lot of good reason to stay motivated and to stay politically active as we head into 2021, 20, uh, Sorry. So there you go. Thanks very much for watching Narrative tonight. Thanks, Chris. Anything else you want to share with our audience? They seem to love you, having you on and got lots of good comments from you. Anything else? Thanks. You know, I'm, I'm excited to come back sometime. So we'd, please we'd love let to me have you back next on. time you want to talk about the bad guys and, and we'll uh, talk about bringing the pain their way. Absolutely. We'll do that. Thanks very much for being here tonight. And thank you for watching. You can always catch us on YouTube. If you're not yet a subscriber on YouTube, we suggest you go over there and subscribe there. Plus, you can always support us at patreon.com forward slash narrative. And that's the show for tonight. I have some disappointing news for everybody because there won't be an after show this Friday, but the after show will be back next Friday and I'll be back next Tuesday with a continuing episode of our January the 6th investigation. Have a good night, everybody. narrative is made possible by viewers like you join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative that's patreon.com forward slash narrative